That's like a lot of stuff back, back, back in my church, hit it with a bigger hammer. That's exactly the way that works. I've been doing that for 26 years now, man. I'm not working to hit it with a bigger hammer. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm thrilled by the opportunity, and I appreciate that very much, Pastor. Thank you very much for having me. And thank all you very much for being here. I enjoyed that good singing. Wasn't that all right? Man, I love hearing men sing for the Lord. That just means something good to my heart. I appreciate that. Open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2, if you would please. Ruth chapter 2. I want to read one passage from Ruth chapter 2, another one from Ruth chapter 4. Uh, Ruth chapter number 2. We'll begin our reading in verse 1, if we could please, as you find your place in Ruth chapter number 2. Ruth chapter number 2, verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. A mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Remember that name. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. There he is again, who was the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless thee. And then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back from Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. And then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence. But abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men? They shall not touch thee. And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people whom thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust." Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip the morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. When she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves, and reproach her not. Let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them that she would glean them, and rebuke her not. And I go to chapter 4, verse 1. Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Then went Boaz up to the gate, and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, to whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. He turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city, and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said to the kinsman, Naomi that has come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also Ruth the Moabite, it's the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was a manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing, for to confirm all things. A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe, and Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. 
And all the people who were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is coming to thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. Heavenly Father, I pray you bless the reading of your word. Dear Lord, I pray that you just let this wonderful, historical, true-to-life account get down deep into our heart. And I pray, dear God, that as I preach from it, you just empty me of self and selfish desire of any thought of vain glory. May I be a help to your people this night. Do your perfect work through your perfect word and for everything you do. We give the praise and glory for you alone are worthy. These things we pray in Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. What we just read is part of the story of a great man named Boaz. Uh, The book obviously bears the name of a woman, Ruth. That makes it a little bit of an odd choice sometimes to preach a men's meeting, but I do so for a reason. Though the, though the book bears the name of a woman, Ruth, everything really centers around a man of the name of Boaz, a picture of Christ, our kinsman redeemer. It's much the same in the book of Esther. It bears the name of Esther, rightly so, great lady. Not taking anything away from Ruth, not taking anything away from Esther. But in the book of Esther, everything centers around a man named Mordecai. In chapter 10, it's Mordecai's greatness that everybody looks to. So behind the scenes in both books, there are two very strong men that God has raised up for a very big purpose. A lot of Christians don't even know what Christian manhood entails anymore. Let me tell you why why that's such an enormous disaster. Our society is in a mess, and that is an understatement of the ages. The United States Assistant Secretary for Health is a man who thinks he's a woman. A couple of weeks ago in Congress, a bill was put forth requiring that if a baby survives an abortion and is born alive, that child simply has to be given medical help. Every single Democrat in Congress voted against it. Antifa terrorists are setting up autonomous zones in cities all over the U.S. and getting into gun battles with the police. We have an entire month to celebrate perversion. We just started it a couple days ago. Aunt Jemima, Nancy Green, creator of the brand, got kicked off her own syrup bottle. The Land of Lakes Indian got kicked off the butter tub. The Redskins got booted in favor of the commanders. We don't have money for a border wall to protect our land, but we did manage to come up with a few hundred billion for Ukraine and enough to hire 87,000 new IRS agents to to hassle tax-paying citizens. And don't even get me started on the price of eggs and other groceries. Divorce rate is epidemic. The birth rate is plummeting. Impressionable little children are being mutilated for life by so-called gender-affirming care. Frankenstein would be embarrassed by what we're doing. And we know that our government regards churches now as non-essential. Like I said, society's in a mess. But that's where you come in. You say, preacher, hey, well, I know what you're talking about. My society's a mess. There are only a few of us here. I don't know if it's a big task. There was only one Boaz. And this was during the time period of the judges. Society had never been in a mess like that. And look at the difference that he made. There's only one Mordecai. Society had never been in a mess quite like that in the Persian Empire. Look at the difference one man made. It is still to men that God looked to make a difference in a society. Ezekiel 22.30 says, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God is still looking for men to stand in the gap. And that's what makes something that I'm seeing so terrifying. A pastor, but I also teach first period Bible at a very good Christian high school. I mean with good kids that come from good families and come from good churches. Every day when I start the class, Monday through Thursdays, I always start by asking this, what are you grateful for today? Because I want them to develop an attitude of gratitude. And I'll go one by one and point them out, call them by name, ask them what they're grateful for. And about two months ago, one of them popped up and he blurted out the name of a guy that he's grateful for. 
This particular guy, I'm not going to give his name because I don't want to give any publicity to a bad person. This particular guy has repeatedly said that women are property. He argues that a girlfriend's, quote, intimate parts belong to her guy. He said 50% of my employees are ex-girlfriends. He said none of my girlfriends were involved in the adult film industry before they met me. He said none of my girls are allowed to leave when I'm not there. You don't go to the club. You don't go to the store. Nothing. He brags about money and cars and jets. He uses filthy languages. He, language. He does interviews with a shirt hanging open and Christian kids, not lost heathens, Christian kids are looking to this guy as their model for manhood. And if even church guys don't understand what it really means to be a man, we're in some serious trouble. So what is biblical manhood all about? Is it just doing manly things? Like lifting weights, I like lifting weights. Some of you like going out into the woods and hunting and bringing home some creature and killing him for a barbecue. Is that what it means to be a man? Well, those things are all right. Nothing wrong with that. But there is so much more to being a godly Christian man than that. And I want to challenge every one of us to step up and fulfill the role. I want to briefly tell you the story of Boaz and Ruth because you really can't tell the story one without the other. As I tell a story, I want to draw out some biblical principles of manhood for us to live by. First of all, let me give you the staying principle. Now, the story of Boaz obviously begins in, in Ruth chapter number 1. And this happens during the time period of the judges. And because the people are so wicked over and over again and going to idolatry so consistently, God sends one judgment after another on the land. And one of the judgments he sends is a famine. People are beginning to get worried about food. The rain's not falling and the crops aren't growing. And one guy, one man there in God's territory, Bethlehem of Judea, says, uh, we, we family, we're getting up and we are going down to Moab. We're, we're going to go down there. We're going to sojourn. We're going to visit there in Moab for a while. He bails out when things get hard. But during the exact same famine, in the exact same conditions, with the exact same lack of rainfall and the exact same dry soil and the exact same time period, there's another guy named Boaz who makes a radically different decision. He no doubt can see the wagons as a Limelech and family are heading out of town and he says his, his family, we ain't going nowhere. We're staying right here. He says to employees, don't worry about it. The job stays open. The farm stays open. We're not going anywhere. We're staying. If you want to be a Christian man, you need to develop some staying power. It amazes me, and some of you older men have probably seen this, the lack of character that the generation coming up seems to develop. There was a young man in our church. He's not been there for a good little while now. But he needed a job. So I, I loaded him up in my car, and I took him around because I know a lot of places there in Cleveland County, and I managed to find him a job. And about two days later, I found out he quit. And I called him. I said, what, 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 why would you quit the job we found you? He said, they weren't nice to me, so I quit. I said, we're going to try this again. Put him in a car, drove him around, found him another job. I said, you better stick in here. Jobs are hard to come by. We got him that job about two days later, found out he quit. Called him up. I said, what's, what, what's going on? Why'd you quit? The, the, they weren't nice to me. They, they were mean to me, so I quit. I said, listen to me real carefully. I want to say something deeply spiritual. I don't want you to ever forget it for the rest of your life. Suck it up, buttercup! Life is hard. Suck it up. Stay in there. Learn how to work. Life's not easy. We don't get to go through life on a bed of roses here. Learn how to go through things. Learn how to have some staying power. Listen, Boaz didn't bail out when things got hard. Man, listen to me. If you're going to bail out when things get hard in school, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to bail out when things get hard at work, you're going to have a hard time in life. You're going to bail out in church when things get hard, you're not going to do much for God. You're going to bail out on marriage when things get hard, you're not going to do much for God. You better learn how to stay. 
as of yesterday, I've been a pastor for 26 years now in the exact same place. I started the church when I was four. No, I'm kidding. It was a little bit of that. But I've been a pastor for 26 years as of yesterday. Sometimes it's been hard. You know, I found out something. Sometimes people are mean. I found out sometimes people are dumb. I found out sometimes they'll give you a headache and a heartache. But you know what? That's what life's like. I've been married. 30 years coming up this March, the most wonderful woman in the world. And even though I've married the most wonderful woman in the world, sometimes marriage is a little bit hard. Yet we're coming up on 30 years now because my mom taught me something a long time ago. Boy, no matter how hard things get, learn to stick it out. Learn how to stay. So spiritual man no understands the staying principle. But then there's the strength principle. As we begin in chapter 2, verse 1, we find that Boaz has a qualifier attached to his name. He is called a, a mighty man, mighty man of wealth. But you also see him winnowing in chapter 3. So his mightiness is more than just about money. It's also about physicality as well. In other words, he's, he's a man up one side and down the other, inside and the out. Let me make a statement to you. Girly men ought not to be a thing. Doesn't matter your size, but whatever you size you are, you ought to be striving to be strong and distinctly masculine. Nobody ought to have any question what you are. Nobody ought to have any question about where you stand. You ought to be a man up one side down, the other inside out. In There ought to be never anything about this that it has any questions about. A lady girl in church years ago came to me, and she, she mentioned a, young, a guy to, to me, and, and she said, Preacher, I'm thinking about dating this guy. He's asked me to date him, and I I think he may make a good husband. She said, what what do you think? I said, well, are you prepared to carry him across the threshold? She said, what do you mean? I said, are you prepared to defend him against any attack if anything goes wrong? She said, what do you mean? I said, the guy has never worked a day in his life. He's never gotten a blister. Has no idea what they are. He sits around all day playing video games. Couldn't fight his way to a wet paper bag. Doesn't know what it's like to sweat. You are going to ruin yourself with him because he has no masculinity about him whatsoever. Stay away from him. We went on a hike with our youth group going back about 12, 15 years ago, and I saw something I've never seen before, and I hope I never see again. We are on a hike with it. We're teen- teenage guys, teenage guys and girls. We're at Crowder's Mountain. Crowder's Mountain is not exactly Mount Everest, all right? You ever hike Crowder's Mountain? It's, it's not exactly Mount Everest. We get about 150 yards into the hike, and about a 15-year-old boy, portly little fella, falls on the ground and starts crying my back hurts, my feet hurt, my legs hurt, everything hurts. This is what's passing for guys these days. Learn to have some strength about you. Had to do a roof some years back, helping somebody. We had all kinds of young guys to choose from. And I went to a wiry, 120-pound, 67-year-old man in my church said, Can you help me? Because I knew he'd be, he'd be better than about 10 of the younger guys that I had to choose from. Men to learn, 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 learn exercise. Learn to work hard. Learn, learn, learn to eat right. In a world of either girly men or guys who are so big they have things orbiting them, you make sure you are fit and strong and you have some mightiness about you. Then number three comes the success principle. In chapter two, we find that this man is is a mighty man of wealth. He's done well with money. We find that he has fields, plural. We find that he has the ability to pay the debts, not only of his own kind and his own employees, but he has the ability to pay the debts for Naomi and her entire family. In other words, when Ruth met Boaz, she met a man who had made something of himself. I have two daughters still at home, 
and I'm not looking for someone for them to support. <laughs> I have done a real good job, I think, supporting them up until now. All their needs have been taken care of. A lot of their wants been taken care of. And I have no intentions whatsoever of handing them over to some guy who does not know how to handle money and keep a job and invest and say, it's, it's just not going to happen. When I, when I met Dana, it was after she had a serious argument with God. She did not want to marry a preacher. And one of the reasons is because she grew up around them and saw how bad most of them had struggled just to make ends meet. And finally, though, she gave in and told God she would if he wanted to. And then we met. But early on, I met a man who taught me about money. And I paid attention. I'm a full-time pastor, but I've never, ever done just that. I write, I teach, I do evangelism, I repair jewelry, I have rental properties, I trade stocks. That's a whole lot of different income streams. I'm not rich, but I have learned how to make a living. Guys, listen to me. Learn how to make a living. Learn how to be successful. If you thought that God expected His people to be absolutely impoverished in this lifetime so they can't do anything, listen to me, sometimes it may happen. Sometimes that may be the case, especially in places where there's persecution. But we don't have a lot of persecution around here. If a Christian man's impoverished in this society, it's probably because he's lazy and doesn't handle his resources right. So learn the success principle. Then there was the spirituality principle. Now, Ruth, you know the story. Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, Chilion, they've gone down there to Boaz, or they've gone down there to Moab, and they've, they've gotten down there, they've stayed. Elimelech has died. The boys have met two girls, Ruth and Orpah. Then 10 years later, they die. She ends up, Ruth, coming back home to Bethlehem with Naomi. She doesn't know anybody there. She's a stranger there. She knows this. she's allowed to go out and glean in the fields after the reapers. That's hard, hot, sweaty work. So she goes out in the field to glean after the reapers, and she doesn't realize she is in the portion of a field owned by this guy named Boaz. When Boaz shows up, he could have been anybody, and he could have been like anything. First words out of his mouth to his employees that day, The Lord be with you. I got a question. How many of you where you work? First thing your boss says every day is, the Lord be with you. Anybody? <laughs> I doubt that real serious. Wouldn't that be cool to have a job like that? This guy is a spiritual man. But it's more than just words. He doesn't just say, the Lord be with you. In chapter 2, verse 4, we find him going far beyond just the letter of the law. The letter of the law says, you need to allow this foreigner to glean after the reapers. But he says to his young men, let, let her glean among the, among the sheaves. That, that, that wasn't the letter. That was beyond the letter of the law. And then he says, let some fall in front of her on purpose. That, that was far beyond the letter of the law. And then he says, we're going to draw you water out of the well. That's far beyond the letter of the law. And he says, we're going to reach you parts, core, lunch. That's, that's far beyond the letter of the law. This was a spiritual man. He's got a heart for God and a heart for people. Men, listen to me. Learn to read and study your Bible. Pray even in public. Learn to lead somebody to the Lord. Learn to answer Bible questions. There's a girl at a church that I preach at. She went out with the guy. And before the meal got there, and they, and they just sort of sat there, and he, he started picking at his meal a little bit. And she said, well, why, why don't you ask a blessing for us? And he said, uh, you can. That's a bad sign right there. It's a real bad sign. Men, men learn, learn to pray. Weak carnal men will never stop the downward lurch of society. A baseball player this past week due to all the brouhaha over Pride Month said something really right and really biblical about this and about how wrong it was. And then when the pressure got on, he backtracked and said, you know, I've got a lot of friends at Pride Community and I regret that my words hurt anybody. Hey, men, let's meet. Learn to take a stand. Learn to be spiritual. Learn not to be weak. Real men ought to be spiritual. 
spiritual men, real, real men, ought to read their Bible and pray and worship and sing and be a spiritual creature, not just a physical creature. Preached in Shelbyville, Tennessee many years ago. Had a beautiful brand new grand piano up there on the platform. The guy that brought me up to the meeting said, let me tell you about our piano player. He said, when he gets up on stage, you're going to notice right offhand, he is a big, huge, strong man, and he carries himself really well because he is a Marine. He said, a Marine is our piano player. This big, strong dude heads up to the piano to start to play the piano, and when he starts hitting the chords and when the sounds of that spiritual music starts coming out, I watched as a tear down that guy's cheek. Dude had a heart for the Lord. He could kill you four ways before you blink, and he had a heart for God. Man, learn to be a spiritual man. The first thing you ought to be is saved. The second thing you ought to be is spiritual. But then there's the softness principles. You just told us to be strong and mighty. Now you're talking about softness. Well, let's go over this again. Ruth shows up in a foreign land. And she doesn't know anybody there except for Naomi, her mother-in-law. And she is, she's expecting the rough treatment because Moabites were a really outcast of society in those days. And nobody, no, 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 no Orthodox Jew wanted to be around the Moabites. They were just a wicked, godly, godless people with a horrible reputation. This girl shows up. She knows the Lord. She, she, she's saved. But people aren't going to know that. They just know she's one of them. So she shows up and no doubt she's getting all kinds of rough treatment. No doubt she's getting all the skeptical eyes and the weird looks everywhere she goes. And then she meets this guy who says... Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not into any other field. Stay right here in my field. Stay by my reapers. Stay by my maidens. We'll make sure your water's taken care of. At corn, you, at lunch, you sit right down here, and, and, and I'll hand you some corn. And he makes sure she goes home with enough food for two people for five days that day. He is tender to this young lady. Let me make a statement. There's no such thing as a godly jerk. Let me give it to you again. There's no such thing as a godly jerk. We had a family visit our church going back about 23, 24 years ago. How many of you remember Popeye? Y'all remember Popeye? You remember Bluto? Bluto Popeye? We had Bluto visiting our church. Okay? I'm not, the, the dude was about, about six foot one, six foot two, about 600 pounds or so, and used to be in the Navy. He was completely around, scraggly beard, even sounded like Bluto. I mean, it looked like Bluto had stepped off the page of the cartoon and visited our church. So he, he invited me and, and Dana to his house. He had, had, a, had a wife and daughter. We, we get there, and he, he pulls up a chair for us. We sit down there, and he starts barking at his wife wife and daughter. All right, woman, get the preacher some, get the preacher some tea, and he's going to drink here. And you, girl, pick that stuff up right there. And why was there why's dirt on the floor? I told you to get stuff cleaned up before the preacher got here. I tell you what, I just can't believe how disgusting y'all are. Y'all ought to have this stuff better. Me alone, done by now. And while he's barking at his wife and daughter, I told my wife, they don't stand a chance. And they didn't. The home fell apart is because he was a jerk, and he thought he was being spiritual. There's no such thing as a godly jerk. I grew up completely different from what I chose to be. You've heard me mention my mother. You've not heard me mention my father because I didn't have a father in the home. I had a stepfather in the home for a while. And he was abrasive and abusive and cursing and, t- and had a bad temper and threw things and broke things and hurt people. He was an absolute definition of a jerk. And I learned early on I want to be the exact opposite of that. Because I want to be something that pleases the Lord. Man, your wife and children ought not to have to walk on eggshells around you. 
I made my mind up early on that my wife and kids would enjoy being at home. We cut up, we laugh. I mean, even sometimes during prayer time we end up laughing. And I'm convinced God's laughing along with us. It's just, we're just honest with the Lord. We just say what's on our heart and on our mind. And sometimes we just don't wear it well and laughing all the way through. Our, our kids love prayer time. They, they enjoy being home. We, we had a unique situation that happened. Um, Sunday morning, my, all my kids are they're old enough, they drive now. But a Sunday morning a few years ago, Caleb was not at church for Sunday school. And when I realized he had missed Sunday school, I asked Dana, I said, where's Caleb? She, and she said, he's probably forgot to get out of bed. So I called the home phone because he wasn't answering the cell phone. We don't get good signal down there. I called the home phone, and, and, and he didn't answer. He got the answer machine, and I said, Caleb, get out of bed, get to church right now. If you get this message, get out of bed, get to church right now. I said that, and I said it just like that. Caleb got to church. He got the message. He got to church. And he got to my wife in the office. He said, Dad screamed at me over the phone. Dana came and told me what he said, and I went, really? I screamed at him? I said, no problem. Don't say anything. We got home for lunch that afternoon. I said, all right, family meeting. Y'all gather around the cell, gather around the home phone here. Gather around the answer machine. Caleb here is under the impression that I screamed at him. Let's play the message, everybody. And I played the message, Caleb, get out of bed, get to church right now. You get this message, get out of bed, get to church. The, my daughters went... Looked at him like he was crazy. Why did he think I was screaming at him? Because that's about the angriest he's ever heard me. He's never heard me raise my voice to him. My family's never heard me raise the voice. They love being at home. Men, listen to me real carefully. There ought to be some tenderness about you. Christ was the manliest man that ever lived, and he was tender to those who needed it. He said, suffer little children to come unto me. Real men are tender men, and, and they're not hard to be around. They don't, make you, they don't make you worried about what you do or say be around them. You, you can just sort of breathe a little bit. As long as you're not doing wicked things, you can breathe a little bit. I preached revival in Spartanburg, South Carolina. A man showed up there with his wife and six kids. They sat right in the middle there, and I, I, I cannot help it. I have to cut up. I just have to. I mean, I, I, it's, just, it's just in every fiber of my DNA, I've got to cut up. And I, I told a joke or a funny story during this message, and all the kids laughed instinctively, and then they <gasps> did this, and they all looked over at the dad, and the dad went and did that, and they all did this. I told my wife, as soon as those kids get old enough, they're gone. They're, he is making their lives absolutely unbearable. I promise you, they're gone. Men, listen to me. The world primarily needs to see your strong side, but your family ought to be very well, well acquainted with your soft side. If you're not, your kids will leave at the first opportunity, and you'll never see them again. Then there's the sacrifice principle. Now, fast forward. You know the story pretty well. Boaz and Ruth have fallen in love with each other. She, following Naomi's instructions, she shows up there on winnowing night. She uncovers his feet there on the floor. She lays, she lays by his feet. He wakes up at midnight, realizes she's there. He says, Who, who's down there? She says, It's Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread thy, spread thy skirt over thy handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. She's proposing to him because under the law of the kinsman redeemer, if he didn't approach you, you have the right to approach him. So she is asking to be taken as his bride. And he says, I'll do everything. Everything you've asked me to do, but how be it, there's a kinsman nearer than I am. He is now uttering a willingness to give up the fondest desire of his heart if it ends up being for her benefit. He wants to marry this girl, but he has told her there's somebody else that God has placed ahead of me. And if he wants to do it, then let him do it. He's a sacrificial man. Biblical men are not self-centered. They're sacrificial. 
Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to, min- or came not to, to, to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. The John at the cross, Jesus says to him, Take care of this woman, my mother. God, God didn't make us the stronger vessel so we could take what we want in life. He made us the stronger vessel so we could do for others who aren't as strong. Amen. Learn to sacrifice for others. Men, put your wives' need ahead of yourself. Put the kids' need ahead of yourself. Put your family's needs ahead. Put others' needs ahead of yourself. Be, be like Christ. Be like Boaz. Be a sacrificial man. And then there's the smartness principle. Now, Ruth is there at his feet, and he desperately wants to marry this woman. He's got to find some way to get this other guy to say no. So he shows up at the city gate the next day. He is waiting for his only living relative. He sees him coming. Oh, such a one. Come sit down here. And that is when Boaz begins what I call the greatest concert of the Old Testament. Boaz plays this guy like a cheap fiddle. I mean, he absolutely plays it. Hey, there's a piece of land for sale. I want to see if you want to buy you want to buy this piece of land. He knows what he's going to say. Everybody wants to buy land. and I'm making it more like, yeah, I'll buy land. No problem. Oh, did I forget to tell you something? This isn't a normal land purchase. This is a kinsman redeemer land purchase. If, you, if you're going to marry the girl, or if you're going to buy the land, you've you got to marry the girl. And he's already gathered ten men of the city. There, there's people watching. There's witnesses watching this. He's, he's made sure there's going to be a spectacle right here. There's a crowd going around. He says, you've got to marry the girl. Well, who's the girl? Ruth, the Moabitess. Yeah. And when he says the Moabitess, dude says, oh, no, 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 no. I, I could never do that. Boaz ends up marrying her. Ends up producing a child by the name of Obed. Obed produces Jesse. Jesse produces David, the greatest king they ever had. 28 generations later, they produce the Lord Jesus Christ. All because one guy had enough sense to be a smart man. Manhood and low IQs should not be synonymous, though they often are. We get a bad rap, men, as dumb people, because sometimes as men we are dumb. Don't be that way. Read books, take classes, always improve yourself, become a student of human nature, become the go-to resource for your family. Be someone that people can ask questions of. A day you don't learn something is a wasted day, and the more you learn, the more you're equipped to deal with. And there's one last thing, the supernatural principle. Now, Ruth's story starts back in Moab. She's been married for 10 years. There's one thing every woman in those days wanted more than anything else, and that was a child especially a man-child. For 10 years, nothing. Boaz marries this girl knowing there's a good chance they're not going to have children because she's already been 10 years without being able to have a child. But Boaz isn't just anybody. Boaz is somebody who knows how to get in touch with God. And before the story is done, Boaz, a much older man than Malon was, has produced a child with this girl. God showers him and them with blessings, including a son, then the lineage. He is a supernaturally tuned-in man. Listen to me. Men, learn how to get an audience with God. Learn how to pray and see your prayers answered. Learn, Learn how to get a hold of the throne room of heaven and see God do things that you yourself cannot do. If the world were filled with men like Boaz, what a different world this would be. If even our churches were filled with men like Boaz, how strong our churches would be. If our homes were filled with men like Boaz, how pleasant and stable our homes would be. I give you this and I'll be done. Years ago, a family came to our church. The man was in Bible college training for the ministry. Outwardly, everything seemed perfect about them. They had a teenage daughter, about 16 years old. They brought the daughter to the church one day where Dane and I were there. 
dropped her off and said, talk to our daughter. We can't do anything with her. We'll be back in a little bit. I hate when people do that. Don't ever do that. Anyway, Dana and I, my wife and I got back in the office with her and we, we started talking to her, trying to find out what's going on. She wouldn't say a word. I mean nothing. I'd ask a question. Ask another question. Ask another question. I mean, she was clammed up tight. She was gritting her teeth and pursing her lips together. She wasn't going to say nothing. And finally, after a few minutes of this, I didn't know what else to say. I said, young lady, I don't understand this. I don't know why you're like this. I mean, you got such a great family and a godly daddy. And when I got to the word daddy, the floodgate broke. Don't! You ever mention my daddy to me? My daddy looks perfect here, and he's a rotten, horrible human at home. My daddy shakes your hand here. He curses you at home. My daddy acts like we're the greatest thing in the world here. He abuses us at home. Don't you ever mention my daddy in my presence again. By the time she left, I told my, dad, I told my wife, we won't be able to help her. Her daddy and his hypocrisy and his horribleness has ruined that girl before she even got out of the gate. Man, everything does rise and fall on leadership. God's still looking for a man to stand in the gap. I'm just saying scripturally, you ought to make up your mind to be that man. Whether anybody else wants to stand or not ought to be irrelevant. You make up your mind, you'll stand and be this kind of a man. Be a Boaz in a world of weak men. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to give a challenge from your word. I pray that you'd work in each of our hearts. Lord, if there be one or more here that aren't saved tonight, I pray that you convict their hearts and let them truly come to know you as our Savior. Lord, for those who are saved, I pray that you'd really burden our hearts to be a Boaz in a world of weak men. You could do so much with a group of men this size determined to always do right. Please, Lord, let it be me and everybody else who determines to do that. Use us in such a mighty way that songs and poems are still being written about it well into eternity. We love you. We ask for your help. Let's all stand. All stand while the pianist plays. Man, I'm just inviting you to come down to the altar. You make your way down here if you'd like. You pray over this. And in just a moment, I want to pray over you, whoever comes. We need some men who will stand. And if you need somebody to pray with you for any reason, salvation or anything else, if you'll raise your hand, we'll send somebody to help you.